Hello, I'm Nam Fennell Malloy. With the season two finale approaching, I would like to invite you the opportunity to submit questions, comments, and suggestions for the season two after show, which will air on September 19th during the week of the podcast's one year anniversary. If interested, you can send an email to rediscoveredmovies at gmail.com or a voice message on anchor.fm slash rdmoviespod no later than September 15th. You can ask me anything from behind-the-scenes moments to the guest features on the podcast, or you could share your favorite moments from the podcast or film suggestions for future episodes. Just remember you have until September 15th to submit your questions by email or voice message on Anchor. You Killed My Life Ricochet is up next on Rediscovered Movies. Hello, welcome to a new episode of Rediscovered Movies. I'm your host, and I'm Fenella Malloy. The film that I'll be discussing is Ricochet. Ricochet is a 1991 action thriller that's directed by Russell Mulcahy, who's known for directing films such as Highlander and Resident Evil Extinction. The film stars Denzel Washington, John Lithgow, and Ice-T. So here's a plot. So Denzel Washington, he plays Nick Stiles, who's the assistant district attorney of Los Angeles. So it starts off in 1983 where Stiles, he is a cop for the LAPD. And during a carnival, a criminal or master criminal, Earl Talbot Blake, played by John Lithgow, he creates a scene after a botched drug deal. Stiles and Blake, they confront each other during which Blake is wounded by Stiles and is later sent to prison. Seven years later in 1991, Blake escapes from prison during a parole board hearing to carry out his revenge against Stiles. And what follows is a violent series of events that destroys Stiles' career. And this sets the stage for one last bloody duel between Stiles and Blake. The film was released in theaters on October 4th, 1991. It opened at number two with 4.8 million, where The Fisher King was number one. It made over 21.7 million during its theatrical release. In terms of reception, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 74% critic score and a 52% audience score. And on cinema score, it has a B. The film is available to stream on HBO Max, where where it's available. So check your local provider. And I do want to mention before I get on to first discoveries is that uh, there is no streaming or VOD option for me since in Canada. So pretty much the only option for me to watch this film was to buy the DVD on Amazon. Now, like I don't mind purchasing like the physical copy of a film if I can't find an online option. But what I do mind is like the quality because the widescreen format with this movie is terrible. Because for one, like it's it's either in anamorphic or CinemaScope format because like the, the bars are like larger than the picture. And like with 
like the picture itself like it's terrible format because clearly it's not remastered for today's lens and it's you could clearly tell like this was shot in the 90s okay so let's go on to first discoveries so i think one of my parents might have been my dad like bought the vhs tape when i was young so i don't really recall the events of the film at that time but i do recall like it was quite intense to watch because of the like the action scenes and like the thriller i guess aspect of the film so watching it now for the podcast it felt like for me like it was like the first time watching it even though technically i've seen it before but and i didn't know like really what to expect from it but i figured like it would be on the levels of a popcorn film because of the screenwriter Steven D'Souza who's known for writing screenplays for films such as Die Hard, Commando, and 48 Hours. So I figure like it would be along like those lines where yes you'll get like the action like also and also with comedic moments. So after like watching the film like I felt like it was enjoyable like in parts but in terms of it as a whole like I'm not sure like of its rewatchability factor. So Siskel and Ebert, they gave this movie a two thumbs down for it or at the movie at the movies program. They pretty much describe it as ridiculous, goofy, embarrassing, unsavory and distasteful, but stylish, ambitious and having smart dialogue. And I would pretty much like agree like with with that in terms of my like overall thoughts of the movie because like I feel like on one hand like it's supposed to be yeah like this popcorn flick where like you're supposed to enjoy like the action scenes and also like the like the villain and the hero but at the same time I felt like I don't know like it's just some of the like either like the writing like is so like absurd and at times, like, it was just quite hard to watch. So, yeah, like, I, wa- I wanted to enjoy this movie more as a whole, but, yeah, I just couldn't bear to watch it. Because usually, like, for for the podcast, like, I would watch the film twice. And this time... Honestly, like I didn't felt like rewatching this movie because I felt like in my first viewing, like I have a sense on what I want to discuss and like also too, like I mentioned, like, like the rewatchability as a whole just wasn't quite there for me, which I'll explain in the highlights and lowlights section. And another note that I'll make is that I noticed that it's produced by HBO Pictures, which um, even though like the film is distributed by Warner Brothers, so I just wonder if this was supposed to be a TV movie because usually with HBO on the film on the film side, they make movies like for for TV. Now I might be 
wrong maybe like they did make movies for theatrical release at the time i wasn't able to find that information but it seems to be clear that this was intended for a theatrical release so if any of you guys know if if this was intended to be a tv film or not just let me know on social media all right let's go on to the highlight section so what i like what i liked is the whole like cat and mouse aspect of the film between nick and blake so pre so pretty much first like nick he he shoots blake in the leg at the carnival which gives him a limp and then <laughs> blake he gets obsessed with nick after he's put in jail and decides to torture him as revenge and <laughs> Pretty much, like, from there, like, he stalks Nick everywhere, like, from, like, the restaurant when he's there with his colleagues to, like, his house pretending to be, like, a repair repairman when, he, when Nick and his wife are not there. And he also leaves, like, these, like, tapes, like, for one, like, of Nick's kids sleeping at night, like, which he, like, assumes that he killed him like with an axe but it turned out to be a hoax and also to another tape of like his torture when he gets assaulted which i have thoughts on that in a little light section but essentially like blake he uses these series of events to drive nick insane to like destroy his reputation like not just as like an attorney but i guess as like the the ideal like family man and so forth and pretty much like his um former partner doyle and i would say too with odessa with like ice tea's character they they pretty much are the only ones that believe him and i guess like this this ends like with nick faking a like suicide attempt which drives blake insane because he wants Nick to live and to suffer for the rest of his life, which is interesting. And pretty much Blake, he gets his demise when he falls off the tower. So yeah, like with them going like back and forth throughout this movie is entertaining. And I would say like, like the performances from, from Denzel and with John Lithgow, like really like heightened those scenes. Cause with them like being veterans of theater, like clearly, like I think they really elevated their characters more than what was on the page. Um, another aspect, um, yeah, there's a lot of absurdity with this movie, like in terms, of, yeah, like of the dialogue and like the action scenes, which. Yeah, makes it entertaining. So it's really one of those films where like, if you just turn off like your brain and just, you know, go with suspension of disbelief, you will thoroughly enjoy this movie. But if not, then I feel like, yeah, you're not going to get a kick out of it. So the parole board hearing scene, <laughs> that was quite unexpected because I figured like maybe Blake would have some sort of like 
remorse for his actions, but clearly he does not. Because he insults one of the parole board members and kills him. And then, which leads to this whole like shootout, like with Blake and and inmates with the um, with the uh, security guards there, and yeah, and a lot of like people died <laughs> during his escape scene, which is insane. And also, yeah, like the deaths yet included his court appointed attorney and the librarian, because they didn't really do like anything wrong, because. Honestly, though, like, it could have been, he could have done a more subtle approach to escape to, you know, not, you know, to, let's say, like, cover, not cover his tracks, but, um, yeah, like, it could have been, like, just more quiet about it to not draw a lot of attention. Yeah, pretty much. But clearly he wants to make it loud. And then the insane part is that he kills one of the inmates that he escaped with and kind of like uh, puts the body in this uh, truck that he drives off a cliff. And then it's funny that people assume that with Blake is dead, but in reality, he's not. But I guess it is what it is. And... Also, too, like, with the absurdity, like, Blake is obsessive. Like, like, I get that he has a grudge, but I feel like he's kind of taking it too far because there's, like, a moment where, like, he sees an image of Nick as an attorney from a newspaper clipping, and he becomes immediately obsessed with it. He would photocopy it multiple times, like, which, um, he would copy it, like, frame by frame, which is insane. And honestly, I don't get why there weren't so many red flags for the other people to notice. And <laughs> there was, like, a moment where, like, he was doing some sort of gladiator-style, like, fight sequence with his cellmate. So... Looks like they're both wearing like these handmade like like suits that's like made up of, of books or newspaper clippings with tape with masking tape and so after like Blake's kills a cellmate he removes like the the page of Nick as an attorney <laughs> And he gets, like, his uh, accomplice or partner, Kim, to remove the, like, the, the blood so that he could keep that paper. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, ridiculous. But, again, if you just go with suspension of disbelief, you'll enjoy this movie. Um, also, to another aspect, I liked... Um, the, the pacing, because, again, I don't know, like, if this was intended to be a TV movie or not, but I liked, like, it had a short runtime, like, which was, like, an hour 49, so close to an hour 50 minutes, and it pretty much, like, gets to the point of the story and doesn't really, like, drag off, like, to, 
focus on different storylines that doesn't relate to the main storyline of the film. And another aspect um, to, I would say like, yeah, the visuals. Um, like I would say, yeah, like it's, you can tell like with some certain shots, it, it looks like it's done in the 90s. Um, but there was one I liked was with Blake's introduction because we see him like covered like in dark lighting as his as Kim is talking and then he like comes out of the shadows when he's like in the alley which kind of makes it intense I'm like whoa because <laughs> there like he's clearly established to be the villain of the film also too like Nick's relationship with the media is interesting because like after he puts Blake away in jail he becomes famous like the media made him famous and then like as a lawyer he really embraces the media and there seem to be on their side for the most part and then once like you know Blake enters the picture like he kidnaps him and all that jazz the media pretty much turns on him for being crazy and then it's funny that after like Blake dies, Nick, he kind of like rejects and like trolls like the media, like particularly with uh, Gail, who he interacts the most in terms of the reporters in the movie. Cause I, I wonder though, like, like when he was a, a cop before, like did he embrace the media or did he did not care? Like I'll probably say like he probably didn't care because he's like um, like a low-level cop at that point. So I figured like he just wants to do his job. He wants to, you know, get his degree to become a lawyer and so forth. So probably he wants to be low-key. And yeah, I just found like in terms of his relationship with the media, like is quite fascinating. And... Yeah, and last point, yeah, I think like I mentioned, yeah, the performances, yeah, from the cast, particularly of Denzel and with John Lithgow, I felt for me, saved the movie. And they really like elevated like their characters more than what was on the page. So let's go on to lowlights. Okay, so the first scene, this is after the opening credits, which... I would say is, is fairly like outdated with the graphics, but clearly like, yeah, with the credits, it's really established to be like a very like serious and intense movie. And then <laughs> it's funny that like after that, it cuts to like Nick playing basketball with Odessa and uh, his partner Toil, which is odd. And I felt like, it's clear that this is supposed to be a setup scene because it's supposed to introduce Nick with Odessa, like with their relationship with Nick's future wife, Alice, that he um, meets and flirts with there and his uh, partner, Doyle. So yeah, like, because clearly like that scene doesn't really like fit well, like with the rest of the movie because I would say preferably 
like after the credits, it could have started like with with them with Blake and Nick at the carnival, like when like when Blake is about to bust his drug deal that goes haywire that leads to the hostage situation and then on with the rest of the movie. Cause I don't know why honestly that basketball scene is there. And I found like it's it's kind of rare to see like a cop wanting to be a lawyer. I would say with the exception of uh, Carisi, like from Law and Order SVU, because he started like as a cop. And then I guess once when one of the lawyer leaves, they're like, hey, like, let's promote you to be a lawyer, which is kind of weird. But I felt like with that one, they kind of did it because of um, because of Cass and probably they didn't want to hire another actor to be a lawyer, but whatever. So anyways, back to this movie. So yeah, like it's fine. Like if he wants, if Nick, if he wants to be a lawyer, but I just felt like he wasn't believable as a lawyer because clearly as a lawyer, you know, the laws that you shouldn't break. And it's clear that Nick, he like, sorry, tongue twister. It's clear that Nick breaks Plenty of laws to capture Blake. And he uses a lot of like theatrics, like in that scene in the courtroom to kind of like prove his point to put that criminal away. And (laughs) yeah, I felt like he could have been like a detective instead of Lori, like maybe like after the hostage situation after it gets promoted to detective, maybe years later, like he's at a higher level, like I don't know, would be like a captain or something. And he has ambitions to be like the chief of police, which will maybe like allow him to spend more time with, with his family. But then that kind of like is up in the air once Blake re-enters the picture. So I felt like if he stayed within the police force, it would have been more believable than him becoming a lawyer but that's just my opinion so i felt like yeah there were some conflicting tones with this movie so i wasn't sure if this movie was intended to be serious or if it's intended to be funny because i felt like yeah because you have steven d'souza like attached as a writer in this movie i felt like they wanted to go in the direction of like the diehard, like pretty much like with the action films that he wrote screenplays before. But I don't know, maybe like it could be directing choice. I'm not really sure, but it's just, it did not work for me. Um, also too, I felt like with some moments were quite, graphic like I didn't mind like when you see people getting like shot like you could clearly see the blood and and the gore like I didn't really mind that too much up to a, a certain point but I would say like that scene when he when Nick gets assaulted by the prostitute or you would say sex worker yeah Wanda I felt yeah that wasn't necessary like that could have been removed 
Because I get, yeah, like, Blake, he wants to torture Nick. Because it's fine if you want to, like, drug him or, like, beat him up or something. But to have him, like, sexually ass assaulted by a prostitute, I'm just like, why? There was, like, a, a scene when, I guess, Nick's partner, Doyle, he runs after Kim, if that's his name into the alleyway where he got shot by Blake. And then, <laughs> and then afterwards, like he throws the gun towards um, Nick who catches the gun and he tells him, oh, like uh, I never like touched the gun cause he was wearing like gloves or something. And I felt like, why Nick, why did you touch the gun that was used to kill your partner? Because that does not make sense. Because you imagine as a lawyer and a former cop, you would know better, but yeah. Um, also to like, I was wondering like, why does Blake have a glass eye? Because unless if there's a moment that I missed, that was not explained. And I would say that with the glass eye and you have the red hair and the earrings it kind of looks like in a way a pirate <laughs> but i think here he's supposed to be intimidating but i felt like his look could more pared down i think yeah keep the glass eye keep the red hair but i would lose the earrings there's also two so Clearly, like, Blake wants revenge against Nick. But it doesn't make sense for him to keep him alive at the end of the day. Because, yeah, like, because he wants, like, Nick arrested after, I guess, his partner gets killed. But it doesn't happen because of the fake suicide attempt. And then he's like, no, 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 like, I need you alive. And then, which pretty much exposes himself to the public and all that stuff. But but again I was thinking like if if Nick died earlier then the movie would have been over. Cuz I don't know like maybe like I, I don't know like maybe like I don't know Blake could have tried to like kill him like after torturing him. But maybe too like he kind of like gets a kick out of torturing him but again like yeah he Blake has issues <laughs> he has plenty of issues another point so like when Nick kind of claims well we know that Blake is alive so like when he tries to like mention that to everyone it seems like no one believes him. And then when all these weird stuff happening, like with uh, Ferris, his um, partner, I guess, I think is what the assistant ADA, I don't remember, but he like, uh, Blake clearly kills him, but it's framed like a suicide attempt and that he is um, a child molester and stole embezzling funds so I'm just wondering like with all that stuff happening people like 
they seem to not question the situation because clearly it is out of character. And with them knowing Nick for like, what, seven years plus, like, I mean, wouldn't you know something is off? Like with his behavior, because I figure you would know him at that point and that you, they pretty much automatically assume that this guy is guilty. So shame on them. And, but it was nice that I guess with Nick's partner Doyle and Odessa, they, they believe him, but for everyone else, shame. Even to, I guess, with the wife at a, at a certain point, because she seems to be more like afraid of him because of his, I guess, odd behavior. But it is kind of weird that like, you know, she doesn't toss that off to side because I'm assuming like if you're married to a person like you would know them. And clearly this was not Nick because it's out of his character to do. So also to I wondered like what's the deal like with Nick and Odessa because we see them like you know playing basketball at the beginning and but there seems to be some conflict with them because Nick is a cop and then Odessa is a drug dealer. But I guess like there's a moment where like he Nick visits Odessa and then there's some sort of standoff where Nick he gets the Renee threatening to blow everybody up, but then that gets de-escalated. But then Odessa, like he decides to help Nick to go after Blake once his reputation is ruined. So I just wonder, yeah, like what's the deal like with their relationship at the end of the day? Like, I just wonder like with Odessa, like did he wanted to become a police officer or did he want to be a lawyer? Like, or anything outside of you know, being a drug dealer, I just wondered, and I just wondered, like, what happened. I just, yeah, I wasn't too sure about their relationship. Like, also, too, like, I wondered, like, what happened with the the $10,000 that was stolen from the fundraiser that uh, Ferris was supposed to produce, but... Because it's weird, yeah. Because I just wondered, like, did Blake spend the money? Because the money had to go somewhere. And it's just hilarious that, like, they don't... Like, if they assumed that he was embezzling funds with Ferris, like, they would obviously, like, check records and all that stuff. But clearly they're terrible at their jobs. Um. Also, too, so... Blake, he's kind of put in a cell, like, with, um, Jesse Ventura. And he, Jesse Ventura, like, he's a very, like, very built, like, muscular, well, kind of toned down. But clearly, like, he's physically intimidating. But yet, Blake is able to, like, knock this guy out, like, like, like nothing. Because I'm, <laughs> which I do not buy. <laughs> Yeah, um, because I, I get that, yeah, like, you want the villain here to be not just, like, um, intimidating, like, on 
an emotional level, but also to on a physical level. But I didn't buy I didn't buy the physicality in terms of Blake overpowering his cellmate. And lastly, like so, with Gale, apparently Gale is the same character, the reporter from Die Hard. So I just wondered why <laughs> because it's fine if you want to have like her as a reporter but they could have just changed her name i think for for legal reasons because if die hard is under 20th century fox while this movie is under warner brothers maybe they came to some sort of agreement maybe but yeah i felt like that could have been altered. All right, let's go on to trivia. So according to reports from members of the audience during the first test screening, it was originally more violent and been reported that the final version was heavily cut. So according to interview, uh, the director gave a scene where Snick is physically abused by Blake until he pukes and Blake gets a sponge to clean him up. Apparently it was one of the scenes that was cut after the test audience reacted negatively to watch a white man torture a black man. Some trailers show shots of scenes which are not in the movie, which is yeah interesting because yeah, because like, like I said, like at moments it was quite hard to watch. And yeah, I would probably agree with the test audience that yeah, like it could have been more toned down. And maybe too, like because you don't want to show too many scenes of, of of torture because like are we just having this for the the sake of torture or does it have a reasoning behind it? Because I feel like with this one, yeah, less is more. Um, also too, so the film is supposed to take place in the same universe as Die Hard. However, some of the supporting characters went on to have different roles in later films, most notably John Amos. So again, like I didn't get why they had to tie in with Die Hard. Like I get you have the same screenwriter, but for me, yeah, like it just does not mix it. It doesn't really add anything to the franchise. So the original screenwriter, Fred Decker, wrote the movie as a Dirty Harry series film, but was deemed too grim by Clint Eastwood. Later, it became involved with Joel Silver. It was intended to have Decker to direct of Kurt Russell to star, which didn't happen. But yeah, that's, yeah, interesting. I could see some aspects to that. But I think, like, clearly here of this version, they wanted to have Nick to have flaws and just, I guess, being a Mary Sue, if that makes sense. The fight scene in the prison cafeteria between John Lithgow and Jesse Ventura recreates the final duel from the director's earlier film, Highlander. There are multiple visual references, including the use of swords, the Foley effects, the backlit windows, and the camera angles, including the famous tracking shot of the camera rolling along the floor. So I thought, oh, that was interesting. Yeah, because I remember, yeah, I did watch Highlander. And I guess with that prison scene, I'm like, okay, 
Like, I, I would have to rewatch that for sure. Um, also, too, Denzel, he worked out for three hours a day, six days a week for four months, so as not to look out of shape for his shirtless scenes. Interesting. Because I remember, yeah, like, there was a shot, like, when he is dunking a basketball in the opening sequence, and it kind of shows, like, a low angle, like, of him leaping while we see, like, his abs. <laughs> So I thought, okay, like, yeah, like, he clearly is in good physical shape here. And I'm like, okay, good for you. Um, so John Lithgow, apparently, he almost never blinks during this film. He wore a contact lens to give the impression that the character had a glass eye. Interesting. Because I just wondered, though, like, in terms of the character having the glass eye, like, was that... Was that included in the script or was that something that John Lithgow and probably the director came up with? Because that's why I wonder, because again, I felt like with the glass eye, even though it was supposed to be intimidating, like I didn't really see a purpose for it at the end of the day. And lastly, John Lithgow, he wore a brace on his knee to help ensure that his limp would be believable and consistent throughout the film. I'm like, okay, that's, yeah, dedication, for sure. And lastly, I'll leave this, ask this question. Should this movie be rediscovered? So, I don't really have a direct answer, so I'm going to say yes and no. I'm going to say yes, because I would say the performances from the cast, particularly with Denzel, and John Lithgow were solid and really elevated the movie more than it was intended to be. And it's entertaining like as an action thriller and that if you just turn off your brain, you'll certainly enjoy this movie for the most part. But for me, I would say as a whole, it just does not work. And there's quite a lot of absurdity in terms of events with, with the plot and probably character motivations. All right, so that pretty much concludes this episode of the podcast. So you could follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Numfy Malloy. You could follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at rdmoviespod and use the hashtag rdmoviespod. You could answer the feature question on Spotify. You could like, share, and subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform where available. And you could submit questions, comments, and suggestions by email, which is rediscoveredmovies at gmail.com. Or you can leave a short voice message on anchor.fm slash rdmoviespod, which could be featured in a future episode. So I want to say thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. Until next time.